Well, good morning and welcome to Ingleside. Whether you're joining us in the room or online or on TV, we are so thankful that you uh, are joining us in worship today. My name is Will Faison, and I am the middle school pastor here at Ingleside, and it is a privilege uh, to join together with you in worship this morning and studying God's Word. Uh, we began a journey this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in our chapter a day readings. And if you haven't joined us in that yet, I'd love for you to text the word chapter to 22828. And you can join us by uh, having a devotion sent to your email each day and studying God's word with our church body. As we began that study this week, we uh, read through 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And that is where I want us to land this morning as we study God's word together. And so we're going to make our way through 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. And so if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open it up and to turn there and follow along as we study God's word together. You also have a listening guide with you. I hope that you have, and you can pull that up online or use your print version of that. And I'd love for you to follow along as we look to the truth of God's word today. This past week, our middle school ministry had the opportunity to go to uh, Clarkston and Atlanta on a mission trip. And several of our students were able to travel up to Clarkston. Clarkston is a very diverse area in Georgia. It holds uh, many internationals and refugees. And we served in Clarkston. We also uh, served in Marietta, working with a kids camp and sharing the gospel uh, with those that we came in contact with. Uh, on trips, often as a middle school pastor, I spend time out of town away from my family. And when I go away, I love, if at all possible, to bring a gift back home to my kids. Uh, it's been a couple of days since I've seen them. And so I said, hey, it's been a while. We left Saturday. We turned back Thursday night. I knew Friday morning when they woke up, it'd be the first time I had seen them in a couple of days. And so I have a six and a three-year-old. And so while we were at Clarkston, we stopped by uh, the Refugee Sewing Society. Uh, that is a group of women who gather together and sew products in order to have an income for their family. Many of these women have been displaced and they are internationals and they are refugees. And so Clarkston's Ministry Center has provided them with an opportunity to create products that they can sell and they can provide for their family. And so we stopped by there with our team Thursday afternoon to hear about that ministry and the work that they're doing in the city of Clarkston. And uh, I looked at all the different products they had. They had purses, they had wallets, they had keychains, they had sunglass holders, all different kinds of things that you could purchase and take home with you. And so as I looked there, I saw two little things that I thought, hey, I think my kids would love that. And so I purchased them and I brought them home. And Friday morning when my kids woke up, they ran down the hall, they gave me a big hug and a kiss. And we went downstairs. And since it was early, I definitely needed some coffee that morning after a long week on a mission trip. And so we were drinking our coffee and I said, Hatcher, Hadley, I have a gift for you. I want to give you something, something special. And their eyes lit up and they started to smile and they got excited. They said, what is it? And I said, well, I'm going to give it to you in just a second. And so I stopped and I grabbed a brown bag and I opened it up and I began to explain to them what I had purchased them. For Hatcher, who is six, I bought this little wallet. And this is a wallet that was hand sewn by a woman who is a refugee who has been displaced in Clarkston. And I explained to him that she sells these in order to provide for her family and to have food. And when you open it up, you pop a little button and you can put your money in it. And then for my daughter, Hadley, I gave her, obviously, glitter and gold and pink is a good move for girls. And so I gave her a little zip wallet. And I said, Hadley, you can take this and put your little things in it and put your money. And so immediately Hatcher grabbed his and he ran away. And I thought, well, I did really bad on the gift giving this year. <laughs> All of a sudden I heard his feet go upstairs and I heard him coming down. I heard something jingling. I said, what is he doing? He comes in with his big piggy bank and he opens up his piggy bank. and He says, Daddy, I want to put some money in there. 
So he slid a couple of dollar bills in there. He put some coins in. And so Hadley said, well, I want, I want some money. And Hadley doesn't have a piggy bank. So we convinced Hatcher to let her borrow one of her, his dollars. And then she realized that she had a toy piggy bank and a cash register in her playroom. And so she put some pretend money in there. And for the next few minutes, I watched as my kids were enjoying the gifts that as their father, I had given them. In a similar way, as we open up God's word this morning, we uh, see seven gifts that God gives us, particularly gifts that he gives us through the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ. And he reminds us of the truths of the new covenant that is made possible through the sacrifice and death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you, our application this morning will be simply to see, to begin to savor the realities that are found in Christ alone. That as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he challenged them, challenges them to live out these realities, to live as a people that are a part of the new covenant, a covenant that replaces the old, a covenant that brings hope to believers. Now, to understand this covenant, we have to realize that this covenant is made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a covenant that was promised in the Old Testament. We see this in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, and Ezekiel 36 to 26. In Jeremiah, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. As Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he wants these believers in Corinth to know the realities of the new covenant, to know what they have been given in Jesus Christ, to receive the gift that their father has given. And he says, I want you to put these realities to good use. I want you to take them, to enjoy them, to live them out, to not walk away with just mere intellectual comprehension but to allow these realities to shape the way that you live presently. Now, as we look to this idea of the new covenant, it's helpful for us to define what that means. So to define the new covenant, we need to know what the old covenant is. The old covenant was seen in the giving of the law, and it really centered on one thing. It centered on external obedience. The problem with the Old Covenant, though, was that this external obedience was given or it was required, but it did not take sin away. The law pointed us to our need, but it didn't necessarily meet that need. And then in the New Covenant, all of a sudden we see, brought about by Christ's blood, we see that there is internal renewal by the Spirit. Internal renewal by the Spirit. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant shows us our need to obey God. But as we attempt to obey God, we realize very quickly that we are fallen, that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we can't obey as we should, that we do not have the power to obey. The new covenant brought on by God's sending of his son, Jesus, and by Christ's shedding of his blood produces internal renewal by the Spirit. 
Paul, knowing this, writes to the Corinthian believers and says, I want you to understand the realities of being a new covenant believer, of receiving the greatest gift that you could ever receive, that you could follow and believe and trust in Jesus Christ, that you could have the forgiveness of sins, that you could receive spiritual renewal to those who have received God's law on their heart. As Paul writes about these realities, he gives us seven truths that I want us to walk away with today. The first is this, that the new covenant brings sufficiency to the insufficient. The new covenant brings sufficiency to the insufficient. Where do we see that? We see it in verses one through six. Paul writes, are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do letters of recommendation to you or from you? You ourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Here's the key verse, verse five, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. As Paul writes as a minister of this new covenant, he writes not because of his personal sufficiency. Throughout scripture, whether in the Old Testament or here in 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul is made sufficient by God's grace. That it is not his sufficiency that allows him to be a minister. This same truth is seen in Moses' calling in Exodus as God calls him to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Moses immediately responds to God by acknowledging his weaknesses, by making excuses, by stating that I am insufficient. And in what we see in that interaction is that God was not calling Moses because of his abilities. He called Moses asking him to be available, to be willing, to be used by God in a way that would far exceed what Moses could do on his own. So the pattern in scripture is that God takes human insufficiency and he pairs it with divine sufficiency and together they bring him glory. It's the promise we have in the new covenant that God looks to us and he says, you are insufficient, but yet I am sufficient. And through my sufficiency, you can bring me glory. As we think about God using us today to share the gospel, to live a holy life, we need to be reminded that God is not looking for self-sufficient or gifted people. He is looking for inadequate individuals who would allow him to use their weaknesses and supply them with his power to be ministers of a new covenant. That God is willing and God is able and God desires to use our weaknesses paired with his sufficiency and his strength and his power to advance his kingdom, to bring him glory, and to live holy lives. Oswald Chambers states this truth this way. It's in your listening guide and it'll be on the screen as well. God can achieve his purpose either through the absence of human power and resources or the abandonment of reliance on them. 
All through history, God has chosen and used nobodies because their unusual dependence on him made possible the unique display of his power and grace. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced their dependence on their natural abilities and resources. God looks to you today and he doesn't require you to be sufficient. He requires that you would rely on him, that in your insufficiency, you would look to the one who provides your greatest needs. The new covenant brings sufficiency to the insufficient. Number two, the new covenant brings life to the lifeless. Do you write it in? The new covenant brings life to the lifeless. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter here that he is referring to is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. It kills because its emphasis is specifically just on external obedience. God's law was written on stone and these commands did not provide individuals with the internal power to live them out. Now, as we think about this truth, the danger is that we would think that the law is bad. The law isn't bad. It was holy. It is a reflection of God's will and his desire for us. However, the law, apart from the spirit, leads to death. If we are insufficient, we are incapable of following God as we should. So sin prevents us from living up to the standard that God has given. Therefore, we need something else. And all throughout the world, you will find that people are looking for life outside of themselves. They're looking for something to satisfy them. And the new covenant reality today is that it brings life to the lifeless. That when we look to Christ, when we live by the Spirit, when we rely on God's sufficiency, we are given true life, everlasting life, a life that is given through a new heart that is empowered by the Spirit, that his ministry of grace changes us from the inside out. So the new covenant brings sufficiency to the insufficient. It brings life to the lifeless and write it in. Number three, it brings righteousness to the unrighteous. It brings righteousness to the unrighteous. Paul says in verse seven, now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. This word that Paul uses, condemnation, is a legal term. It has to do with sentencing someone to a punishment. And Paul says that when we think of righteousness in this context, it's referring here to a legal matter as well, that righteousness is our right standing before God. And Paul says the new covenant, the gift of God through Jesus Christ, looks to those who are unrighteous and yet declares them righteous. Paul would say it this way in Romans 3, 21 to 26. You can turn there or just listen, but I'd love for you to write it down. Romans 3, 21 to 26. Listen to how Paul describes it there. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When we are, re, when we are united in Christ, we receive justification in the here and now. We can be confident that when we stand before the throne of God in the future, that when he looks to us, he will see Christ and he will declare us righteous, not because of external obedience, but because of grace and faith in Christ. The new covenant brings, number four, hope to the hopeless. Hope to the hopeless. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Hope is best understood as confidence and full assurance in God. It's a confidence that is based on future promises that impact present day realities. That is the hope of the gospel. It's an assurance, it's a confidence in who God is and what he has promised and those promises and that assurance and that confidence affects our lives today. That knowing what God will provide in the future gives us hope for today. It's a hope that transforms how we see our lives, how we understand and how we react to the things that we come in contact with. And Paul goes on to say, not only do we have hope, but our hope leads to boldness. To boldness. That we share the, the gospel with confidence, with assurance, with a boldness, knowing that God is who he says he is, that God will do what he says he will do, that God will fulfill what he has promised. All of us are looking for hope. All of us are looking for something to satisfy us, to meet our needs, to give us confidence and assurance. And yet because we live in a broken world, we look for hope outside of God. And what the new covenant states is if you want true, lasting, confident hope, look to Christ, see Christ, believe in him, grasp the reality that he brings hope to the hopeless. Number five, the new covenant brings vision to the veiled. The new covenant brings vision to the veiled. Second Corinthians three fourteen, Paul says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. 
But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Christ's sacrifice and the Spirit's work within us reveals what was once concealed. Christ's sacrifice and the Spirit's work within us reveals what was once concealed. Paul refers to Moses' veil as a symbol for Israel's hardened minds, their hardened hearts, their stubbornness to the good news of the gospel, their stubbornness to the promise that was to come. It's not merely just intellectual understanding. It's not that they didn't comprehend what they were reading. No, it's a spiritual stubbornness and a denial of the truth. And so Paul says for, for us to overcome that, the veil is not removed by extensive knowledge. The veil is not removed by zealous obedience. The veil is removed when one turns to the Lord. When one turns to the Lord, when one looks to Christ, that God the Father, by his grace, removes the veil through a union with Christ and the power of the Spirit. A union with Christ. We don't come to God with our works. We don't come to God with our intellect. We come to our God empty-handed, fully relying on the good news of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. That is the reality for the New Testament believer today. It reminds me of the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The author says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior in life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's our New Testament reality. That is our new covenant truth today. That if we would turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world would grow strangely dim. That we would be given freedom and grace and access to the Father. Number six, the new covenant brings freedom to the fallen. Freedom to the fallen. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Now, what does this freedom mean? It means that we have freedom from legalism. Freedom from a trust in our external obedience. Freedom from intellectual assent that will provide for us life and hope and confidence. We have freedom from guilt. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom that gives us access to a loving and a gracious Father. Freedom that gives us the opportunity to live out the commands of Scripture. Freedom to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Freedom to love our neighbor as we should. Freedom to rely on God's grace through the sacrifice of his son and the power of the spirit to return to his original design, to reflect him in a broken 
in a fallen world. Freedom to the fallen. And lastly, the new covenant brings transformation to the tarnished. Transformation to the tarnished. Verse 18, and we all, all, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who has repented of their sins, who has turned away from their self-sufficiency, who has turned away from the hopelessness that the world promises, that has looked to Christ to provide life and freedom and righteousness. He says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The truth that all of us live in today is that the fall tarnished our image. But that tarnishing is not irreversible. It is not final. It is not the last word. The new covenant reality is that we are restored from the inside out. That we are being transformed. The word there is present passive, meaning that it is active, that it is gradual, that it is a process. But it is passive in the sense that it means that that transformation comes by God through his power and his strength, that he is the one that is completing the transformation within. It is progressive, meaning that for all of us, whether we're beginning our journey in Christ or whether we are coming to the end of our journey in Christ, that we still have progress, that we still have growth, that there is still transformation left to occur until we stand before the throne, being declared righteous by Christ's sacrifice and the Spirit's work, that he looks to us and sees that we are becoming like Christ as we should. This is more than just becoming nicer people. It's more than just better external obedience. It's the heart change that was promised in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. It's the heart change that the Spirit provides for us through the work of the cross and through the grace of Jesus. And he says, we are being transformed from one glory to the next, from glory to glory, to represent Christ in a broken and fallen world, to live in a way that honors and glorifies him as we should to live in a way that doesn't rely on our self-sufficiency or what we have inside or our abilities or our resources, but comes to God with open hands and empty hands, looking to his grace to save us. So if you're in this room, if you are watching online, if you have never looked to Jesus, my challenge for you, look to him. See him. Savor him. Trust in Him. If you are a believer, hold on to the realities that you have been given by God. Enjoy the gifts of your good Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbled. God, we come before you insufficient. 
God, we come before you finding life and hope and righteousness in Christ alone. God, may you give us freedom from sin. May you give us a renewed vision today. And God, may you transform our lives for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom, and for your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.